This is The Book Alchemist, the podcast which celebrates the magic of storytelling and the joy of great books. I'm your host, Heather Sutty, and my guests are from all walks of life with one thing in common, a love of reading. Today's guest is Sheila Greer, an avid reader and a wonderful film and TV actress whom you may remember from the iconic drama Brookside. We discuss the books which shaped her life, her love of libraries, Billy Connolly and biographies, memoirs and so much more. Sheila Greer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, Heather. It's always lovely to spend time with you. Oh. You're such a darling. Oh. <laughs> and you love reading because you're in my book group and yes. you've been to many, many events. Yes. Has reading always been a hobby or something that you've enjoyed? Yes, I would say so. I think being old like I am, you know, going back to the 60s of going to the library was such a big deal and having a library card and being encouraged at school, particularly to read. So I would say my earliest memories are reading things like Little Woman and wanting to be Joe and wanting mm-hmm. to be, um, you know, so there's obviously that escapism, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And obviously that rite of passage of things like Ina Blyton books. But I always loved history from a young age as well. Mm-hmm. So I was, I would devour history books. Um, a lot of them factual, but that would lead to the historical dramas and things. So, yeah, reading was always um, part of my life. And I think, too, because of my age um, and my time, we didn't have phones, we didn't have tablets, we didn't have, you know, reading was an incredibly big part of your life Mm -hmm. and I think it's only now you look back at that and Mm realise how important the libraries were and how important reading was and how much it was encouraged Um, I think it's much harder now to maybe encourage children to read Mm -hmm. Uh, unless like my nephew he's an enormous reader and his six-year-old can read really really well so I would say yeah it's always been there. And what was your local library? My local library would have either, I'll tell you where it was, I grew up Clarkson Newton Mearns area but it was in Rowallan House so I remember that being the local library. I think when the li- a library opened at the Mearns Cross, but that was later on. So I, I remember Rowallan House, which was this big posh house in uh, Gifnook. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember as being my local library. And the school used to take you to libraries mm-hmm. as well. That was yeah. seen as a big deal to go as a group to a library yeah. um, and have sometimes have people come and talk to you about things. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing when you look back, just as you say, you know, pre-internet, you know, sometimes even with TVs, you know, people were brought up in a certain era. Sometimes you didn't get TV in the afternoon and no, things like that. No, but it was discipline, exactly uh-huh. that, because it was that thing of, I was an era of two channels and then BBC Two became colour and, mm-hmm. and then you, if you didn't see the programme, mm-hmm. you didn't see the programme. That's right. And so the excitement, the anticipation, I think that's the same with reading and libraries, was that anticipation of... Um, what, what was I going to discover? Absolutely. And libraries are so important for local communities and also for authors because I'd only found this out up until very recently mm-hmm. that um, every time someone borrows a book from yeah. the library, the author gets a financial credit. Oh, I didn't know that. Which I think Isn't is amazing. Isn't that incredible? Why, <laughs> yeah. we, why do we not know that? Know. And the only reason I know that is because I met someone at an event and they were saying, 
And I said, oh, where can I buy your book? And she said, oh, you can get it from the local library. And I was like, well, well you know, my local library is Partick in Glasgow. And she was like, yeah, yeah, go and get it out there because she gets like a pound 50, I think, for every time it comes out. And I think as an author, um, no matter how young you are as a writer, it must still be the, the nirvana. You know, it must be the pinnacle to say my book is in a library I yeah. would think personally you know people talk about oh I went to the airport and I saw your book for sale but I think seeing your book is in a library must be an, an fantastic yeah. thing I think you're absolutely right I think there's a level an extra special level of gravitas mm -hmm. when it's in a library because mm -hmm. it's almost like libraries are hallowed spaces mm -hmm. aren't they you mm -hmm. know they're really where would we be without libraries because for many people I mean, I remember growing up, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at home. Mm -hmm. In the winter, mm -hmm. after school, you went to the library That's for right. a couple of hours to stay warm. Exactly. And then you'd, exactly. You'd walk home and get your tea and yeah. do your homework and then, yeah. you know, you'd be back to school the next day. But also, they, these are places where, you know, people can go and, you know, young mums can mm -hmm. meet other young mums mm -hmm. and baby clubs and elderly people as well can go and learn about technology and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And also I think for elderly people particularly, it's a source of communication. It's a source of um, conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, these are things. And what is going on in the world? This is all just closing. All these places are closing and they need them more and more. And for, you know, for asylum seekers, people like that who need to learn and, and want to learn and need a place where they can be helped... Um, with advice. Mm -hmm. And even like the Mitchell Library, we were sourcing, mm -hmm. um, researching the family tree. And I mean, you can go up to the Mitchell Library. Mm -hmm. It's incredible yeah, the, it's the, the access you get to things. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful building. I saw somebody Stunning. commented the other day saying they thought it was very Wes Anderson. Very you know, much so. I remember Patti Smith, who I adore, and we've seen many times in concert. And she, as you know, is a fantastic poet and writer as mm -hmm. well. So it's not just concerts we've seen her. And we've seen her in other environments. And once we saw her in the Mitchell Library about 2004, she was um, displaying her, her photographs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Suddenly she just impromptu said, let's go next door, did a chat, got the guitar out, the whole thing. And was in raptures about the Mitchell Library. Wow. I mean, just in raptures. She loves Glasgow anyway but yeah. she just couldn't believe this building. And I just thought, there you go. Yeah, this yeah. is someone who's travelled all over the world. And how many people have actually never been in the Mitchell Library? I know, it's true. I mean, yeah, we should start a campaign for schools from across Scotland to go <laughs> to the Mitchell Library yeah. as a school trip. I know, I've been to the New York Library and the reason I went there is because I'm a huge fan of Sex in the City mm -hmm. and it's obviously where... The Carrie... Public Library in New York, yes. in the Fifth Avenue. Yes, yeah, I've yeah. been in there. It's yeah. where, you know, Carrie gets stood that's up. That's right. Um, but, you know, that's, I mean, it's exquisite. You know, yeah. the ceilings, the lights, yeah. the architecture, yeah. the books. I mean, it's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, I think I have a friend whose ambition is to do that whole thing through Europe, like in Budapest and yeah. go to all these, you know, you see the photographs yes. of them, these stunning, stunning buildings. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, to, it'd be the equivalent, because I love cathedrals, it'd be the equivalent of going into a cathedral, yeah. wouldn't it? Uh -huh. It's, it's like, know? I think, bookshops, libraries, mm -hmm. cemeteries, mm -hmm. Charity shops. Because mm. <laughs> Patty Smith's also a huge cemetery fan. We saw her in Cambridge last year and she'd already been in, you know, seeing where famous poets have been buried and all that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a similar it's thing, isn't yeah. it? So I know that you um, love 
biographies. I know you yeah. really enjoyed the Patti Smith one. And yeah. I love the fact that in our book group, um, you got me into the Biba book. Yes. Which yes. is all about Barbara Hanuki. Yes. I think that's how you yeah. pronounce her name, about the amazing fashion label that she set mm-hmm. up in London in the swing, mm-hmm. swinging 60s. Mm-hmm. What are the other types of books of that ilk that you've enjoyed? Because I know that yeah. you love biographies, yeah. don't you? I just actually finished Billie Jean King's autobiography oh. called All In. And what is brilliant about this book, because one thing I'll say about autobiographies and biographies, which are my real thing, is not if they're ghostwritten and not if they don't tell the truth. I can't be bothered. You know, I'll, I'll do something like, with, I love her to bits, but you read Judy Dench and you go, darling, you're not a lovey. Let's get the, you know, so I'll, I'll not read it if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So All In was my most recent one. And um, what a story, you know, I mean, this is what she achieved as a player, but more importantly, what she achieved for women and feminism and women's rights in tennis and out with tennis and her long journey to come out. You know, that whole story and she came from a poor family, public park tennis. So I would really highly recommend her book. I mean, there was a bit of help with the book, but you knew it was her book. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, What else? I've just read as well... Oh, well, I must mention Madeline Black's book, and I think I know that you're going to have her maybe on yes, your pool. Yes. Now, Madeline and I had known each other for years, um, and like most people, had no idea about her story. So, mm-hmm. her book Unbroken, which is her memoir about um, her past and her rape and all the things that happened to her, is a, a very profound piece of work. Mm-hmm. And it's not a frightening read because it's got a lot of positivity in it as well. And I really, really recommend people read that book because I think it's a very important book. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one which, um, well, it just has to be said because is Billy Connolly's When Swept in oh, String because Billy, well, <laughs> goes so far back with Billy because he drank my dad's pubs when he worked in the shipyards and we took my wee nana to see him at the Apollo in 1972 and you know and and then I had a few encounters with him um in my own way and so he's adorable he's lovely he's a fantastic ambassador he had that rough background which I love about autobiographies when it's someone like Sidney Poitier or even Nile Rogers people who have had everything against them but mm-hmm. they got there and with Billy um I really enjoyed it because there's been so many books already, Billy, being ghostwritten or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he just got it right with his autobiography. And that whole background of taking his bike, like my dad and my father-in-law would, you know, we cycle away somewhere. And um, just so Windswept and Interesting was not disappointing at all, mm-hmm. not in the slightest. And I just felt him on every page in that book. So, yeah, it's just that... Uh, and I'm doing David Bowie's at the moment, the the Dylan Jones, which is obviously a biography, but very well done um, because it's, with him so many books written, but this is a lot of statements from a lot of people. It's a really, really interesting read. I'm just fascinated by, they don't have to be celebrities or sports stars mm-hmm. or actors or anything. It's just, what is it that makes me want to read yeah. about you? What makes them compelling? Yeah. And you can tell quite quickly with a biography or autobiography when you can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can get a third through, um, then you think, I want to know more about you and I want to know why. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I am a big fan. And I know not everybody is, but I am a big fan of them. I think that's a lovely compliment that you paid uh, Billy and that yeah. then you said you could feel him in every page. Yes. Because I think you're right. 
I've read all of his books as well because I was always fascinated. I'm always fascinated by people's relationships and yeah. how they meet and the decisions that they make and how that takes them on a certain trajectory, if you like. Mm. And I loved, I remember reading, um, I mean, I've read them all and mm. Ross, my partner, is a huge mm. Billy Connolly mm-hmm. fan. But I loved when Swept and Interesting the most because I think it was the mm. most honest. It, it was, was the most profound. Mm-hmm. And also there's so much humour, but there's also a real intimacy. Very much so. And I think what came across more in that book than any of his other books or books about him was his vulnerability Mm -hmm. and how he was a wee lost soul Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, of a culture of drink, um, more than drugs, of Mm -hmm. drink, Mm -hmm. which was the destruction of so many, like the famous Jim Baxter footballers, all those people of that era who came from nothing Mm -hmm. and couldn't cope with their fame Mm -hmm. and weren't allowed to have that fame Mm -hmm. and um, were put down that Scottish thing, I knew your father, you know, Mm -hmm. don't get top of yourself, don't think above your station, all that stuff came across in the book as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But his love for his family, and yes, it didn't work out with Iris, but she was a troubled soul as well. Mm -hmm. And he's so close with all his children. And obviously, you could never on paper have put him and Pamela together. But that's life, isn't it? How they were right for each other. Mm And how I loved how she gave him three chances and if he didn't get it right in the third chance, she was off and he knew she was off. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. that's the thing because she, she's such a strong character mm-hmm. in her own right as well, isn't she? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing that I loved as well, just, you know, the vulnerability thing, I think that's what makes him such an amazing performer because I fully didn't appreciate that he turns up and he does gigs completely off the cuff because it was only last year when I worked at the Fringe Mm -hmm. and I went to see a couple of comedy shows and the same comedians were doing the same gigs the same gags every single night word for word and I was like this is an epiphany (laughs) I had no idea that Billy just you know improvises constantly Totally. And you know where it really came home to me was when they have like the audience with Billy Connolly. So that iconic thing, um, I was meant to be there that night. Never mind. That's me just being like that. Anyway, (laughs) um, you know, with all the celebs, all the comedians, Victoria Wood, you know, whatever. And I think that was a real eye opener for the general public when they watched that Mm programme, because... He was doing exactly what he'd always done. He was improvising. Phenomenal. In front, being recorded in front of all those people and all that incontinence pant routine and all those things that we'd all, well, I'd certainly seen on several occasions at the Apollo uh, and the Kings in Glasgow, um, was still going on. Yeah. And that's the way he functioned. That's the way he worked. Um, And you have that ability to still bring it all back. back it was all up here. So incredibly clever, isn't it? I mean, it's really... Very bright guy. I think... Oh, super bright. Of that era, you know, so many of my own father, you know, was bright, but left school at 14, you know mm-hmm. that thing. And and so many... To be like he is, you need to be highly intelligent, like the Robin Williams and all those people, you Absolutely. know? Um, so I'm just so happy for him that it all worked out for yeah. him. Yeah, no, me too. And, and I, I really, I love his journey to sobriety as well because... Mm-hmm. Just as you mentioned, you know, many people still to this day, um, you know, no one teaches you how to be famous. No. no one teaches you how to cope with the pressure of being in the public eye, whether you're in the press or not. Mm. So p- people do turn to alcohol. And and I love the fact that 
you know, he's been sober all these years yes. and has lived the most amazing life yes, and continues to inspire people um, to be alcohol free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about fame, that's something that you experienced yeah, at yeah. a big level. So yeah. tell us about how you got to be in Brookside and what that oh, meant to well, you. Oh, well, that was like those things which gets back to pre-phones and everything. It's, it's that synchronicity, that's life, isn't it? So um, I left drama school in 1980. I was doing the pantos, was doing the wee jobs, Scotch and Rye, whatever, and a uh, Glasgow agent. And I was going to Arran for uh, Glasgow Fair and uh, still living at home. The phone was ringing as I walked out the door. No other means of contact, mm -hmm. you know. That was it. Yeah. Picked it up. You have to go to Liverpool tomorrow for an audition for a thing called Brookside. I think I'd vaguely watched it a couple of times because they did the omnibus on a Saturday. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, so <laughs> I go off to Liverpool the next day. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I got asked to go back on the Wednesday. Um, and then on the following Saturday, which is very unusual, it's never happened to me since, they said we're going to cast this day because it's a quick turnaround and it was three people. And if you're not happy with that, go now kind of thing. Um, and I got the part. And so if I had not been in the house, I wouldn't be where I am now, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Because uh, obviously I got into Brookside, I was only 25. You know, um, it was a cult programme. All the young ones were watching because there's very little things on, on television and the very clever idea of the Omnibus, Omnibus. Saturday mm -hmm. after the football, all blah, blah. All the young people, the Barry Grants, all that. And so, yeah, that was an incredible thing because one minute you're, nobody knows you and the next minute everybody knows you. So you just take it for granted at that time and all these things you get asked to do and invited to and meet all these famous people. Um, and the irony is too, that's how I met my husband, Alan, because he had never seen the programme and I was doing a personal appearance. I had literally just left the programme and I was doing his personal appearances with David Easter for Riggs and Riggs Man. And Alan worked... <laughs> Riggs the clothing shop. Yeah, Alan was the Riggs Man buyer. because no he'd way. been Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. So I get in the car and I'm like, oh, he's nice. And he looked to me. And then this is a funny story, actually, because so we do the shop openings and I'm quite like him. And he's, and I'm thinking, this is not, you know, he doesn't really know who I am because you're never watching all that. And in the evening, we had to go to dusk in Stirling to okay. present awards <laughs> for competition winners. <laughs> and I didn't drink because I was working, you know, yeah, yeah. and all that. And I genuinely, only time in my life has this genuinely ever happened to me, I fainted because I, I'd had a really mental week the week before and all that. So the next thing I remember was he was standing with a glass of water asking me if I was all right. Wow. And that was it. Wow. That was That's it. amazing. And then the other quick bit about the story is Kate, my daughter, went to Stirling Uni and the only nightclub was dusk. And she's mortified <laughs> to think that was we were dusk. <laughs> It's so funny. I mean, just to, just to talk about Riggs for a second. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't uh, or has never heard of Riggs, Riggs was, Riggs was the go-to place. It was a bit like Etam or Miss Selfridge and it was spelled, they had a pink neon sign <laughs> and it was spelled W-R-Y-G-G-E-S and it's where the only place you could go for like your Christmas party outfit. It was new look. It was all yeah, that, it wasn't was, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. So you were doing a personal appearance yes, and that's how you Well, what husband. happened was one of the girls that worked for Riggs in the PR side who ended up coming to our wedding years later so she was a huge Brookside fan and two weeks previous they'd had Paul Usher and Simon O'Brien and the, they're all over the front of the papers the Sunday meal and everything the place went mental it was like the Beatles had arrived yeah. screaming girls yeah, yeah. so David was meant to do it with Brian Regan and he was going the whole I said look they've got the women's side as well I'll just do it with David uh -huh. and so I was dressing Riggs gear and he was you know the kind of thing um, just screaming, screaming fans. It was hilarious in a way. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were opening new 
Rick's man shops because they just started Rick's man. I mean, Brookside was massive though, Sheila. Well, Brookside at that time, I as I say, it takes time to realise. I think with this whole relaunch again, finally, um, like I was in STB being interviewed and everything. I mean, it's nearly 40 years for me. It was, you know, it's a long time ago, but it was just so different. And then suddenly they were being copied by everyone because mm-hmm. a year after I started in Brookside, EastEnders started and st- they were doing all our storylines. Suddenly they woke up to the fact they needed a soap with younger characters. Mm-hmm. And how lucky was I to work in the programme with Jimmy McGovern scripts and, you know, Sue Johnston to Anna Anna Keevney, all these actresses and stuff to work with. Mm-hmm. So this golden era, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. in the 80s, all these incredible actors and incredible writers. Um, and it's never been, it's, to me, it was so sad that it's that it needed to finish when it finished because of these soaps always, you know, something mm-hmm. happens. But it needs to be seen again for a younger generation of how good it was. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I remember, you know that I'm friendly with Nicola Stevenson. Yeah. Uh, Nicola Stevenson was the actress that was opposite Anna Friel and it was the first lesbian kiss on terrestrial TV in the UK. And, you know, even that in itself yeah. was And the siege. I mean, the siege. To work with someone like Robert Pugh. But... To do that, a thing as intense as that, everyone's done sieges now. You know, every storyline that came out of Brookside was copied by the other soaps. Mm-hmm. And now they're all just exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That's why soaps are not interesting anymore because there's no different, you know, Corrie isn't what Corrie should be and mm-hmm. Emmerdale isn't what Emmerdale should be. So I'm now as an oldie very proud of the fact I was in the programme. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing. You know, I've always been a fan because, mm. you know, we've known each other yeah. for a few years and yeah. I'm like, oh, Sheila's amazing because, you know, to me, you were the epitome of somebody who had the balls to go and say, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. because there weren't very many women, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, you see people on TV and you think, oh, wow, that'd be amazing. I'd love to do that. You know, you did mm-hmm. it and I did it. And yeah. I used to look up to you and go, wow, that's amazing because you were gorgeous and glamorous. You yeah. still are. You just thought, I'm going to do this. I know. And, you know, the funny thing is I was going to do history at uni because it was quite bright and I loved history. And my dad, as a publican, and, you know, my mum left school at 14 and stuff. My sister was a teacher, my older sister. And I had been off to place at uni. It was was a good state grammar school and it was always tick the box, tick the box, get, get them all to uni. And I wanted to be an actress and I was very scared that I wouldn't be good enough. And I never knew in those days all these other places I could have applied to. So it was the RSAMD, that was it, three courses, tech, teaching or, or acting. So I applied for the teaching course because I thought at least that's something to fall back on, which was ironic because you, they didn't even have teaching dra- drama, you know, as a su- subject in schools. Um, and I remember I went to my dad and uh, I said, um, Mr. Anderson, the headmaster, has given me a really hard time because I won't go to university and do history, but I really want to be an actress. And you just laughing well you were never going to do anything else wow because I was doing amateur <laughs> drama from a very young age you see that's great and that's what I love with our daughter it was like you do what you want to do because I saw too many of my contemporaries go to uni and do things like pharmacy and end up wanting going always wanting to be a music teacher you know mm-hmm. have those midlife crises I'm a huge huge believer in you don't necessarily need to further education I'm not a huge fan of drama schools and I just believe that if you're encouraged by the people around you at a young age to be what you want to be um, and 
And my friends to this day, my school friends say, I mean, I've had a huge roller coaster. Right? I've gone through a nice wee spell again, but it goes, um, and things you lose out and whatever happens. But, you know, I've too much on the other side of my life that makes me happy that to let it bother me. But my friends still say to me, we always said, we just knew, mm-hmm. we think it's incredible that you stuck at it. Absolutely. And, you know, you're still doing it. And that's the thing, you know, positive encouragement. There's so much to be said for that mm-hmm. because... You know, like you, I've been, you know, we're technically both self-employed, aren't mm-hmm. we really? And there are peaks and troughs mm-hmm. and ups and downs and, you know, curveballs get mm-hmm. thrown. But actually, would we change it? No, we wouldn't change it. And that's the thing I always have to remind myself and people around, close around me. Even my daughter now, she's works in television behind the scenes. She's nearly 29 now. So she's seen it all. She's seen the big stars and all of that. And it's that thing of when I have a bad time, she'll go because she can understand it a lot now. And she'll go, would you do anything else, mum? Do you think you could walk away from it? And I say no. But one thing I've always said to people starting out in the business, if you don't get a break by the time you're in your mid-30s, walk away because it will never happen. Mm -hmm. You could be waiting till you're 60. But I think if you can get it by your mid-30s or even into your late 30s and get that break that you've always wanted, stick at it. But I've seen some people who've really, and I get that, do you know, I really get that longing for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a hell of a business. It sure is, but that's the thing, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head though. Business. It it's is a, a business. business. You know, it's like a partner works in the music yeah. business. It's the same. And you know. nobody really cares. This is the thing that they have to, you have to get such... You don't realise how strong your backbone is until you get older. Do you not feel like that, Heather? Yes. Because yeah. you think everyone loves you and everyone thinks they want to work with you. and every, But it's not because everybody's looking after number one. Absolutely. Even if they're the nicest person in the world. And that's true of most walks of life. Yeah. So I think you have to learn as early as you can that nobody really cares except the people who care for you. Mm-hmm. And if you can master that and then you I think what happens when you realize that is you begin to enjoy what you do yes absolutely you know and I think also what we learn as well because I'm sure there'll be jobs that you've gone for and you're like oh drat I wish I'd got that part Mm -hmm. or you know people applying for jobs and you know they really wanted the promotion and they didn't get it you just got to take the rough with the smooth Mm -hmm. haven't you you have to because how do you learn about things god I feel it's so old now but I think with experience of life and horrible things that happen to people that are close to you, that you you have to remind yourself about those things mm-hmm. and not try and dwell on it, but remind yourself that life's too short not to just enjoy it. Absolutely. I'm lucky to have a partner who enjoys life. Yeah. I'm a half empty warrior, overthink everything. Mm-hmm. And that's just... <laughs> Hello, we do. <laughs> Hello. Don't worry about it till you have to worry exactly. about it. Exactly, why are you worrying about it now? Worry about it next week. And, and, oh, and, you okay. know, and I can see him in another room going, you're overthinking that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it is that thing. Once you realise that nobody really cares... Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad no, way. No, no, no. It's a very, you know, very practical view. And you're yeah. you're absolutely right. Everybody is just everybody's just focused on themselves. But I think when you're when you have a job like you or you're, you know, you're on radio or TV or you're an actor and you're in public eye, you know, it's like it's a big thing. You yeah. know, and there, there's a responsibility that comes with it because there's also Nowadays, mm-hmm. particularly, see the young people in the industry mm-hmm. now, or people, you know, it, 
I, thank God, made mistakes. You know, even young kids now, um, poison pen lighter was as bad as it got at school. Do you understand what I mean? Absolutely. But now your life is online and thank God that wasn't around. Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine? When you're 20 <laughs> and you're saying the wrong thing to a journalist or you're, you're falling out of a taxi. A, you're an arse and you fall out of a taxi yeah. and you... You got a sense of privacy to do all that, didn't yeah. you? My final question, because yeah. I could chat to you all day okay. about so much. <laughs> Is there one particular book that you cherish, that you've absolutely loved? Maybe it's one that you gift to people? Is it one maybe you keep by your side your bed? Is it one that... Oh, gosh. Um... I would say, and it's a fairly recent book, is Going Forward Will Be Shuggy Bane. Uh-huh. Okay. Because um, it just absolutely blew my mind. I couldn't believe the magnificence of the book, the way it was written, the emotion, the heart-hitting. It's a love story, basically, a love story. And it just encaptured everything I love about a book. And I love, I just couldn't put it down. And I was talking to my brother-in-law who had been an English teacher. And I said, you know, it's that thing like for me at school, it was To Kill a Mockingbird mm -hmm. or... You know, even some like Animal Farm in 1984, but yeah. particularly To Kill a Mockingbird. And for me, Shuggy Bean needs to be taught in schools now. It's that kind of importance. And I know he's adapting it for the television and I hope it's done well. I hope they get some wonderful actors who are not household names necessarily. That's the kind of book it is to me, that mm -hmm. it needs to have a raw... I couldn't believe it was his first... I know it took him years to write it, but uh, for a debut... I haven't read Young Mungo. I've got it. I haven't read mm -hmm. Young Mungo right? You have, I keep telling you to read it if you're ready. Well, do you know, I've got both and I haven't read them yet purely because I'm not feeling it. I'm no, the kind you of have person to feel it. That because I know that it's going to be a big emotional investment mm -hmm. because I've, you know, I'm there's certain things that I know I can relate to before I've even yes, read it. Yes, exactly, you know? exactly. And also I read Deborah Orr's Motherwell. Right. Don't know if you've read that. No, I've heard of it. Similar. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and to be honest, although it was exquisitely written and it was beautifully written, I didn't enjoy it. No. Because what it did do is it it took me back yes. to yeah. A, yeah. a time yeah. where it was tricky. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes emotionally you've got to be in the right place to read yeah. a certain type of book. I think you, when you get to that place, you will fall in love with Shuggy. Mm -hmm. in a way that you just have to and you'll fall in love with his mum you know so I mean there are probably other books that I would I would cherish and give to people um and I was supposed to kill the mockingbird is one of those books mm -hmm. I was surprised recently by somebody I knew who'd never read it yeah. and um people think oh it's dated and everything but no you know it's still there it was beautifully written mm -hmm. But from a present day point of view, I would say Shuggy Bean. What I love about the group, which you brilliantly started, is seeing the passion that what I have for autobiography and stuff, people have for other genres. Yes. Or crime. Or, you know, my sister's a huge crime fan. She loves yeah. that. Alan just loves John Le Carre and all of that. He would read that Thanks. again, and again, yeah, yeah. again, again, again. <laughs> you know, so that that passion for us, maybe a genre, yeah. which I think is very interesting as well. Would you ever write a book? Um... I'm writing. I, I have loads of ideas for plays and a sitcom, which I've come to later in life as well because I've been encouraged to do so and realise that possibly I have got that talent. Um, if I wrote a book, it would be more anecdotal. I couldn't write a novel. 
Mm-hmm. But then it's funny with Helen Fitzgerald, who I know really well, who's mm-hmm. tremendously the cry and everything. Yeah. When Helen and I first met, she, because Sergio had written, you know, written films and stuff, she was going down that road. And then this agent said, write books, mm-hmm. make them books. Mm-hmm. So she spent years becoming this incredibly successful author with a lot of her stuff being adapted for film and television. Mm-hmm. But now she's coming back to writing film scripts and, oh, and television scripts. So... Right. I find that interesting mm-hmm. as well, the mm-hmm. journey she's gone on. And it's amazing there's so much talent in Scotland. Yeah, so um, much. And you're such a huge part of that. Thank you. So are you. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I just, I just like to ask questions. <laughs> but it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast, oh, thank Sheila. thank you for having me, Heather. Please come back again and keep us up to date with what you're doing. Thank you. And tell us about your side hustle before oh, you go. Okay. I've always made things. So I have an Etsy page called Sadie's Upcycle Store. So I just upcycle things, mainly like lamps and cushions. And I go to charity shops and I make them into other things, usually with themes to do with maybe me music or Frida Kahlo or Blondie or whatever um, and I have my little page and I, I do quite well with it right. you know um, and it's just for me it switches my my mind off so important to have something like that you know it? I can sit for a few hours and make this lamp and I forget about everything so yeah, yeah so that's my wee side thing super Sadie's Sadie's upcycle store my nana was called Sadie and my daughter's Kate Sadie so it's Sadie's upcycle store love it Sheila <laughs> thank you very thank much thank you Thank you so much for listening. New episodes in our library feature every Thursday. And if you'd like to contact me, please email heather at thebookalchemist.com.